Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you for coming out on such a beautiful weekend. I know it's been raining and we don't have many sunny days, so we really appreciate it. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here. Um, over the last four weeks, we've been going through a series uh, about the Holy Spirit, and we've been just been talking about who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives, and how does the Holy Spirit actually help us walk with God? And it's been just an incredible four weeks. I'm really glad that we were able to take the time uh, to do that. I've been really encouraged. I know a lot of you have been encouraged, and we've all grown in that. But I'm excited today to get us back into the book of Exodus again. And uh, I suppose you could say that my wife, uh, Dawn, and I, we've been experiencing a bit of an exodus of our own over the, over the last couple of years. Just in a couple months, we will be official empty nesters. Uh, both of our children will be in college, and I think, um, unlike the Israelites, our children have not been enslaved with us for 400 years. It's only been 20 years, so I think they're thankful for that. But I guess as I think about this exodus of our children, kind of going into this new land of adulthood, I've been naturally just reflecting on how did we raise them? Did we do the right things? What did we do well? What didn't we do so well? Did we equip them and train them to be able to handle the many different types of situations that they, were gonna, that they are going to uh, face in this world? And as I've been reflecting on that, you know, I've just kind of been remembering, well, how did we raise them? What were going to be the core principles that we focused on that we would, just, we would not compromise on no matter what the cost was? And very early on, I'm just very thankful for this, that one of the things that Don and I were just in total unity on was we really wanted our kids to understand what did it look like to be obedient to God and what did it look like to live a repentant life and what did forgiveness feel like. And so we decided at a very early age that we wanted to model that for our children. Sounds like a really great, beautiful plan, right? Uh, but here's the rub. In order to actually model grace and repentance and forgiveness, then you actually have to define boundaries or rules that when broken constitute disobedience or rebellion or sin. We had to draw lines in the sand with them that when crossed had consequences, just like when we sin, there's a consequence. And when our kids crossed those lines, there needed to be obviously loving discipline, but along with loving discipline, there was always an explanation of why they did what was wrong, um, why what they did was wrong. And that wasn't just a simple explanation, like it was wrong to shove that stick up Susie's nose, right? It had to be an explanation of the sin. And sometimes we even had to crack open scripture and actually talk about this and why it was wrong and why it was hurtful. But then we were able to actually talk about forgiveness. And they had to go to that other person that they offended and they had to ask for forgiveness they had to go to God and ask for forgiveness, and they had to ask us for forgiveness. They really loved us in their early years. That was a long process, right? When, when our kids broke rules and we had to um, bring discipline, that was a long process. But it was also a bi-directional process. I don't want you to get the sense that we just, hold, we just held our kids to that, those standards. We also held ourselves to those standards with our kids. So as parents, as you know, we make mistakes sometimes. We lose our temper and things like that. And so we wanted to model that towards our kids as well. And there were plenty of times when we were asking our kids for forgiveness and we were trying to restore that relationship. 
So anyway, sometimes sticking to that plan is really hard. It killed Don and I sometimes to not just sweep an offense under the rug uh, because we were too tired or we were too busy or we had to get somewhere or the kids needed uh, to be somewhere. But we knew if we relented, if we were not consistent, then it would just compromise this model and our children would have this kind of warped view of justice or authority in their lives. Now, that was our battle plan, right, for, for parenting. Um, but you guys know kids, right? What's the saying? No battle plan survives the face of the enemy. Well, obviously, we don't think of our children as enemies, right? That's a joke. Um, but if you've had kids, or if you've worked with kids, or if you've simply been around kids, you know that kids have their own plans. They have their own ideas of what is right and what is wrong. And we definitely had a few battles, right? We had some battles where our kids just dug in their heels and they would just continually disobey on a particular thing. And you could see as a parent, you've probably gone through this before, where you just see that resolve, right, in a parent's eyes, and they just dig their heels in, and they don't disobey and disobey until finally they see, like, oh, I'm not gonna get away with this, and then they repent, and we can restore the relationship. Now, obviously, this isn't just with kids, right? As adults, I'm sure you can think of many times where uh, you just wanted to do what you wanted to do, and you did whatever you wanted, right? Okay, so why on earth am I spending so much time talking about raising kids and how does that relate back to Exodus? Well, there was a cost. There was a cost for Don and I in upholding this model uh, that we had decided on. In order to reflect God's grace and forgiveness, we had to also reflect his justice. And that came at a cost. Sometimes that cost for us was the judgment of other people around us. You know, we heard comments like, you're too strict with your kids, or you're too hard on your kids, or you're too old-fashioned, or just let them be kids. That's just childishness. And so our friends and our family, some of them, not all of them, but had a hard time wrapping their head around how we were orienting ourselves and training our children. And I think that similarly, sometimes we run across situations in the Bible where it's very hard for us to wrap our head around how is God relating to his people? How is he acting towards his people? Now, if you were back with us uh, in April when we kicked off the Exodus series, series, Michael talked about how Exodus is this amazing story of how God wants us to see his redemption and adoption and faithfulness. And in Exodus, we start to see how God wants to relate to his people. And we love we love this side of God, right? However, Exodus also introduces us to some behavior or some characteristics of God that seems contradictory to what we might think or what we want to think about God's character. So in this story, we start to see this epic battle between God and this unyielding, prideful, earthly king, Pharaoh. And we see God wanting to set the Israelites free from bondage, right, from Egypt, and deliver them into the land that he promised. But yet, at the same time, we actually start to see some scripture here that says that God actually hardens the heart of the man, Pharaoh, the actual man who is the guy who actually needs to set the, his, uh, Israel free. Now, I don't know about you, but that just seems kind of hard to comprehend, right? The idea that God would deal with Pharaoh in this way, in this manner, seems contradictory to the behavior of a fair and just God. 
So the scripture I wanted to just unpack a little bit today is in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It's Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, which says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring up my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. There is a lot going on in this text, and I'm not going to be able to unpack all of it today, but there's some obvious questions that we can start to draw, especially when we start to focus in on this idea of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. So some of the questions that I've been sitting with is, how can God be just and loving when it says he is causing the hardening of someone's heart and then actually punishing that person for it? Not just that person, an entire nation. That does not seem characteristic, right, of a faithful and redeeming and just God. If you kind of step back and think about it, it kind of seems a little manipulative. If God is good and God is holy and God is the opposite of evil, then how could God even stir up evil in a person and cause that person to sin? If God can harden someone's heart, then what about things like free choice? Lastly, and more importantly, how and why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? So these are all really important questions, and we're going to cover some of these at a very high level today. But there's a point that I just don't want us to miss in this text. Even when God's character doesn't seem right to us, we have to rest in this truth that God will always protect his character. Uh, Wayne Grudem, in his book, Systematic Theology, says it like this. God's justice ensures that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the standard for what is right. So in other words, God would not be just if he did not deal out punishment on the sins committed against his goodness. And he also would not be just if he did not provide a way for mercy. And we'll see as we go through the story, as we go through Exodus, God provided plenty of opportunities for Pharaoh and mercy. But, I, but hardening somebody's heart, how is that just? How is that merciful? And I think what's really cool here is clearly God wants us to know that he was involved in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and that it was aligned perfectly to his judgment. But let's dig into that a little bit. I think we can kind of characterize it like this. God displays his justice in the face of injustice. You see, God had weighed Pharaoh's heart and the Egyptians' heart. He knew them, and he executes his judgment due to their already hardened, sinful hearts. Now, I think in order to understand this a little bit better, we've got to take a step back, right? And we've got to look at this man, Pharaoh, and what is going on with this man, and who is he? Let's paint a better picture of who this man was and what God knew about him. And at this point in the story, we actually know quite a bit about Pharaoh. Uh, we know that he had an utter hatred towards Israel, and his cruelty that he dealt out on Israel was horrendous. 
He worked them 20 hours a day in extreme horrific conditions. This was the man that gave the command, right, to the Egyptians to essentially commit mass genocide on Israel to kill all the newborn baby boys in Israel. Now, there's another layer on top of this. Obviously, genocide, it's a horrific thing, right? When we think about it, it's awful, evil thing. But this was actually like a double injustice to God. Remember earlier when I talked about God talking about his people as his divisions? Like this was his chosen people. And so this injustice against God is extreme that Pharaoh would do this. And it's just important to understand that. And we know that Pharaoh already in the text completely rejected God when he says this to Moses, which was essentially Pharaoh speaking to God. In Exodus 5.2, he says, I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. This was essentially a talk to the hand moment. This was Pharaoh saying, talk to the hand, God. I am above you. I am above all other gods. God also knew that Pharaoh already had a hardened heart. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, God says to Moses, but I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So God knew. He knew the state of Pharaoh's heart. He knew his nature. He knew how Pharaoh would react in the face of his power, in the face of these miracles, in the face of his judgment that he was going to deal on Egypt. And he explains this in verse 5 of chapter 7. So what was that nature? What was Pharaoh's worldview, if you will, that caused him to actually act the way that he acted? Well, Pharaoh's worldview was that he was a god. He was a deity. He was his own master. He was king of his kingdom, which happened to be the most powerful nation on the planet at the time. And he decided what was right and what was wrong and who died and who lived. And this particular Pharaoh actually elevated himself above all other gods in Egypt, which even in the Egyptians' eyes was a sign of pride. And then he elevated himself above the god of Moses. Pride ruled this man's heart. Now, I can't read through this story, and I can't read about Pharaoh and sit here and not think about the many times that I've been Pharaoh, you know, where I have actually let pride reign in my heart. And as I was kind of reflecting on that, I think one of the biggest blind spots for me, especially in my early years, was I had a hard time or I had an inability to receive correction from people I didn't know that well. If I knew you and I trusted you, then I was very likely to receive from you. But if I didn't know you that well, I actually had a hard time receiving from you. And as I look back on that, and obviously I've repented of that and grown a lot, but as I look back on that, I think, man, I missed out. I missed out on the things that those people had for me. But my point is that I did not... Um, that was not God hardening my heart. That was my own sinful nature and pride that was hardening my heart towards what this other person had for me. Similarly, God did not create Pharaoh's hardened heart. When it comes to Pharaoh, God was not taking Pharaoh in this situation. He he wasn't taking somebody who uh, was trying to live a godly life. Pharaoh was not... Uh, volunteering at the local food pantry here, right? God simply allowed Pharaoh to continue in his own 
sin. He was not manipulating his heart in any way to harden it. He allowed him to continue in his own sin. It was Pharaoh's hatred and disbelief and pride that hardened his heart. And we see as the story continues, as Pharaoh continually disobeys and rejects God in this story, we see him continually hardening his heart. Even when God gives him opportunities to repent and stop what he's doing, he just keeps defying God. And God leaves him to his own demise. And sin has that way, right? Sin has this way of dragging us further and further into itself. And we have to remember that sin's purpose is actually to harden our hearts towards God. Okay, so this behavior, right, that we're seeing here in Exodus chapter 7, this behavior, this act of God to allow a person or a people to continue in their own sin is actually something referred to as judicial hardening. And I found this great uh, description of judicial hardening on the Gospel Coalition site. It says this, God's judicial hardening is not presented as the fitful manipulation of an arbitrary ruler, that's God, cursing morally neutral or even morally pure beings, but as a holy condemnation of guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen. In other words, it would be easy for us to look at Exodus 7 and the judgment of Egypt and see or think that this is God kind of throwing a temper tantrum here. But what you are seeing is God's justice condemn an already guilty, sinful people, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God is displaying his justice in the face of injustice so that the most powerful earthly nation and man in this case would know the most powerful and only true God. So God's priority in this situation was to reveal his power and his glory and his name that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth and in Egypt and also to Israel. And you know how we like to talk about fresh stories here at Genesis? It's a part of our mission and our vision that we would all have fresh stories. Well, this was a fresh story for Israel. God was using this awful, sinful situation to create a people that worshipped him. He was creating a people that worshipped him by displaying his justice against those who were actually oppressing his people. Now, God wasn't just trying to keep his promise to liberate them. He could have done that, but he was giving his people fresh stories of his power and his glory that would help establish his people and that they would be talking about for generations and generations to come. I just, I think that's really incredible. Now, unfortunately, in this story, Pharaoh was not the only one hardening his hearts towards, or his heart towards God. The Israelites also hardened their heart towards God. If we go back earlier in the story in Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, I'm not going to read it all, but uh, we see this outpouring from God to Israel uh, through Moses. And I just want you to listen to the language that God uses to speak to his people here. I have remembered my covenant. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. I will bring you to the land I swore and I will give it to you as a possession. Can you imagine 
Can you imagine being the Israelites and hearing these words, these promises, right, from God? I don't know about you, but I'd be like, yes, bring it on, Lord. We've been enslaved for 400 years, and you're doing it now. Like, this is awesome. But how did the Israelites actually respond? Well, we know this. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, the Israelites respond like this. Moses reported all this to the Israelites, and they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. So here we have God. He's calling out to the Israelites. He's, gonna t he's telling them all that he's going to do for them. And they just kind of shrug their shoulders. And they do not listen. They were broken. They were a broken people. They were too hurt to even listen to God. And as we continue through the story, what's really amazing is how God did not give up on them. And he continues to keep his promise to them, even though they were not listening. And we see Israel, right, on that last day of deliverance, worshiping their God. And they're singing about all of those acts of just, justice and his miracles and his signs and his wonders. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about Pharaoh and his hardened heart. And we talked a little bit, little bit about Israel and their hardened hearts. Pharaoh hardened his heart because of pride. He completely rejected God. He allowed sin to completely devour him. And he went on the defensive against God. And ultimately, he paid the price. Him and his nation paid the price. And the Israelites, they were in such utter despair that they couldn't trust in God any longer. They could not see past their own discouragement and they couldn't see what God had for them. They couldn't believe what God was actually going to do for them. So my questions for us this morning are these. Are you Pharaoh? Has pride hardened your heart and kept you from maybe submitting areas of your life or maybe your entire life over to God? Or are there just areas in your life of sin that we have not been able to hand over to God. We're trying to conquer them in our own strength, and our own power. Pride has this way of sneaking into our lives, and it can come in actually so many different forms, right? Believing that we can do everything on our own, or struggling with receiving correction, like I mentioned earlier, or jumping quickly to point out the flaws or mistakes or sins in another person's life, or maybe to hold grudges or unforgiveness towards others. Those are all different flavors of pride that look a little differently, but in the end, our pride and they harden our hearts towards God. Or are you the Israelites? Are you so wounded and so hurt that you can't see past your discouragement and see that God is in this with you, just like he was with the Israelites? Have your wounds become your identity as opposed to your identity being rooted in Christ? And it's important for us to understand that an inability to trust in God, when we start seeing that in our lives, it's a sign of a hardened heart. So we have this amazing story of Exodus, the story of the Israelites being redeemed from the bondage of slavery through the display of God's power and his justice over sin and over evil. And here's the good news. The same justice that demanded the judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians that liberated the Israelites from their slavery, it's the same justice 
It's the same justice that demanded that Jesus die on the cross on behalf of our sins so that we could be liberated from the things that enslave us. God wants to liberate and redeem us from the things that enslave us so that we can walk with him, so that we can know him, so that we can enjoy him and what he has for us. Freedom from bondage to these things, it can only come, can only come from believing and knowing and following Jesus. And God sent his son to live a perfect and sinless life and to die on the cross, right? To pay, to pay that wrath of God, to pay that condemnation over sin that we could not bear on our own so that we can walk in freedom and that we can walk in new life, enjoying God and knowing him. So if I try to bring this back full circle, uh, when I look back on the times when my children were uh, disobedient, those were actually, this might sound a little weird, but this was actually some of the most precious and beautiful and cherished moments that I have with my children. Why? Because repentance from disobedience, it never came. It was never, it never came with condemnation. It always came and was met with grace and forgiveness. And then the celebration of a restored relationship. And when we come to God with repentant hearts, he does not bring condemnation. He pours out his lavish grace and forgiveness on our lives. And he celebrates a restored relationship with you.